Thank you, thank you for loving us as you do. Thank you for reminding us of our identity as your beloved sons and daughters. And thank you, God, for the promises in your word of forgiveness. And we thank you because you are faithful. And all of this time, Lord God, that we have been here this morning, Lord, you've reminded us of that, Lord God, your faithfulness, your power, your love toward us, Lord. We thank you for that reality. And this morning, as we continue to worship you with our hearts, with our ears, with our minds, Lord God. May we not be distracted by anything, but may we be captivated by your truth and changed by it. May we not just hear what you are saying, but may we respond to it in faith and in obedience. We pray this in Jesus' good name. And everyone said, amen. amen. You may be seeing the presence of the Lord. If you don't have an outline, just raise your hand and the ushers will be sure to get you an outline want to be sure that you are able to take some notes, you're able to follow along in the introduction of um, the message, that you're able to use this as a tool in order to help others grow in their faith. We are disciples of Jesus, and as disciples of Jesus, we are supposed to help other people grow in their faith. And the way that you do that, the Bible says faith comes by hearing and hearing the Word of God. And so if you want to help someone grow in their faith, don't give them your ideas, give them God's Word. Don't give them what you think. Give them what God thinks. Don't give them what you say. Give them what God says. And when you give them what God says, their faith will grow. And so you can simply sit down with someone, as I encourage you every week. You can sit down with someone and just go through what you learned on Sunday. It will help them because they'll learn something new maybe or it will encourage them if they're a believer. And for you, it'll help you as well because you'll learn more and you'll learn better what it is that you have heard being preached. And also, it will hold you accountable to the truth that you are sharing with them. And so we are continuing in our series, The Promise Keeper, and we're speaking about God and his faithfulness. And here we find another promise, and the promise today is that of forgiveness. And I want to say something fully confessionally. Um, when I deal with sermons like this, it's really it's really uncomfortable for me. And when I say that it's uncomfortable, um, it's, it's uncomfortable because when I think of God's forgiveness, God's forgiveness is really really scandalous when you think about it, okay? And, and when I say that, if you look at your outline here, biblical forgiveness is scandalous. And when you think of a scandal, it's something that, like, man, it's, it's taboo, right? It's something that shouldn't have happened. It's something that doesn't make any sense, right? And when you think about God's forgiveness in the real biblical sense, it is scandalous. And what I want you to realize is this. It is offensive, and it is the bedrock of our relationship with God. God offers forgiveness. You think about this. One of the most powerful truths we can ever know and experience is that of God's forgiveness. It's cleansing. It's liberating and life-giving to everyone who encounters it and it should not lead and it should lead us to an overwhelming gratitude and devotion to God as well as mercy and grace toward others. See, when we think about the bigness of God's forgiveness and the fact that no matter what we have done, no matter what we have done, God offers us forgiveness. There is no one that you lock eyes with. There is no story you have ever read. There is no thing that has ever happened, no matter how grievous it is to your heart, no matter how detrimental it's been to society and the culture, no matter how much it has hurt people, there is no one who you can look at and say they are outside of the bounds of God's forgiveness. 
That is what makes it so scandalous because it's easy to say, hey, man, you know, someone who lied, yeah, there's forgiveness for you. You know, someone who cheated on a test, yeah, there's forgiveness for you. Someone who didn't do something they were supposed to do, yeah, there's forgiveness for you. But when you think about a child molester, it's like, man, really? But God offers that person. What about that serial killer? That person, God offers them the same mercy he offers you. You don't think you're as bad as them. But you want to know what? Your sins, no matter how little you may think they are, they put Jesus on the cross. Jesus had to die for all of those sins. And so what we realize is that God's offers of forgiveness is one that can be offensive to people. It's one that can shake people to their core and they don't understand. And then they get really upset because when you hear things like, hey, everybody needs God's forgiveness, right? Like people don't want to hear that. We're going to deal with that in a moment, right? Why it's offensive to some people. Everybody needs God's forgiveness. You know, you hear a story like mine and I go ahead and I'll share my testimony one day and, you know, with someone and when I'm sharing the story and, you you know, they don't think they're that bad. They're like, oh, yeah, you definitely needed Jesus, right? They, they don't think that they need Jesus because they didn't do all the stuff that I did. They didn't do all the things I did. Therefore, they really don't need Jesus because they're not, you know, we'll talk about that. But the reality is if we think about the greatness of God's forgiveness, it should overwhelm our hearts. It should move us in a way that we are super and completely devoted to him. And also because we've experienced his forgiveness, we extend grace and mercy to others. And we treat people differently. And so I want you to think about this. The promise of God's forgiveness is to be cherished, not taken for granted. The promise of God's forgiveness should be cherished, not taken for granted, right? And, and as I looked up that whole thought of being taken for granted, I was going to say, you know, the God's promise of forgiveness should be taken for granted. And the reason why is because it's, to be, it's something that is assumed, but there is the negative connotation of being taken for granted where you just, you know, you assume it, but it's not something that's a big deal. It's something that you belittle. It's something that you don't really think about. And so what we need to do is we should cherish the promise of God's forgiveness. Don't take it for granted. In other words, don't live how you want to live because you know that you can come and be forgiven. Don't live how you want to live because you know that you can come back and you can ask God for forgiveness as we'll deal with in the text today. But the reality is this, is that the promise of God's forgiveness should be cherished in our hearts. It should not be taken for granted. And so repeat this after me if you would. Forgiveness, forgiveness. is only possible, only possible. Because, because of the blood of Jesus. Forgiveness is only possible because of the blood of Jesus. And so we're introduced here. If you look at verse 5, it says, This is the message which we have heard from him and declared to you that God is light. And so I don't know where you are today. I don't know if you're a believer in Jesus. I don't know if you are firmly committed to Christ and you have a clear picture of who God is. What I do know is this, is that there are a lot of different concepts of who God is in our culture today, right? There's a lot of different concepts of who, when we, when we define who God is, who is he? Is he a he? Is he a she? You know, is God evil? Is God righteous? You know, is God fair? Is God not? And there's a whole bunch of different thoughts that people may have. And so I don't know what you think. I don't know where you 
you're at in your mind. But what I know is this, is that the writer here, the Apostle John, who, by the way, he was a guy who was one of the 12 guys who walked with Jesus. And he wasn't just one of the 12 that walked with Jesus, but he was the one and the only one that the Bible records that actually like laid on Jesus' chest, right? He was one that was very close to Jesus. He's known in the Gospel of John that he wrote earlier. He's known as the beloved disciple of Jesus. And so it's not that Jesus didn't love all of them, but there was a special relationship between this writer and Jesus. And so he has some definite insights. And he's introducing the concept that God is light. He didn't say that God is a light. He didn't say that God is the light. He said God is light. And when we think about the concept of God being light, what do we think about? Well, we think about the physical aspect of that, right? We think about the mental aspect of that. We think about the moral aspect of that. And so what we have here is this contrast because he goes on to say not only God is light, he says this also. He says in him, in him there is no darkness at all. He is light, and in him there is no darkness at all. And so the first thing we see from the physical aspect of it is the Bible does this. It gives these contrasts from beginning and throughout. It shows us this contrast between light and darkness. And so in the physical sense, we know that in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, and the earth was without form, and it was void, and the, and, and the Spirit of the Lord hovered over the waters of the earth, right? It hovered above the earth, but it was dark. It was void. And then God says on day one, and then God said, let there be light. And light comes in and all of a sudden this glorious thing appears. And whenever you look at the Bible and you see God and you see this light, it's, it's, it's an unapproachable light is the way the Bible reveals him as. This God that you cannot approach him on your own. You cannot approach him in your own uh, ability. He tells Moses that no one can see my face because they will die. And so God reveals himself on this physical side. So there was this physical reality that God is glorious. That when he's saying this, saying God is not, he's, he's inapproachable. He is greater than anything that we have ever seen, but he is this, so God is light. But then on the intellectual way or in the mind, you think about God and, and, and you think about light and darkness. And so light reveals or represents truth. God is truth. He is all truth. But darkness reveals what? When we're talking about the intellect, it's talking about deception. It's talking about lies, where the enemy comes from. And what, and what the writer is saying is saying, in God, intellectually, there is no darkness. There are no lies. There is no deception. There is all truth in God. And then on the moral side of God, there is light and there is darkness as revealed in the scripture. We have God who is seen as the light in the area of morality, meaning that God is holy. God is pure. God is righteous. He is the one that is separated from everything else. In him, there is no darkness. There is no sin. Darkness representing sinfulness, ungodliness, unrighteousness on the moral side. God, there is none of that in God. God is 100% holy and pure. There are two lies that are refuted in this portion of scripture here that the apostle John was dealing with. And one of those lies is that God is evil. And the second lie that is refuted is that those who have fellowship with God can still live in sin. Are you here? I know it's early. These are the two lies that are being refuted in this portion because John goes on to say what? He says, if we say that we have fellowship with him and walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. Do you hear that? If we say, if we say that we have fellowship with God, but we walk in darkness, if we walk in deception, 
If we walk in lies, if we walk in sin, remember that word walk. We've talked about this word walk here often, right? It's, it's talking about the way of life, the way that we live. If the way that you live is in darkness, if you're always hiding, right? And that's how you know if you're living in darkness. Are you always hiding from people, right? You're acting like one way in front of people, but then there's other stuff going on in secret that no one knows about. That is living a life in darkness, where when you get around folks, you're a certain way, right? But when, you, you know, when, you're, when you're not around people, you make sure the door is locked. Hello. You make sure nobody's around when you're going to do whatever it is that you're going to do because you are living in darkness. And he says, if you are living in darkness, he says what? He says, man, you're, you're lying to yourself. You think you have fellowship with God. And so he refutes those two things. He goes on in verse 7, and look at what he says here. He says, but if we walk in the light... As he is in the light. And so God is pure morally. He is, he is, he is truthful in his, in, in intellectually. And so if you and I walk in the light as he is in the light, right? God, God doesn't have anything to hide. He's not lying. He's not being deceiving. He's being honest about who he is, right? We have fellowship with one another. It's not talking about fellowship with you and I. It's talking about fellowship with him and I, you and him. If we walk in the light, that's how we have fellowship with God. If we're, not, if we're walking in darkness, we lie to ourselves. We cannot sit here and believe that we can live. See, that's the reason why this message becomes so difficult for me sometimes because a lot of people seem to think that when we talk about God's promise of forgiveness, which is to everyone, and we'll deal with that in a moment, but when we talk about God's promise of forgiveness, it's almost like it's a license to sin. And it is not a license to sin. God's forgiveness should motivate us to holy living. And we'll see that as well when we get into chapter 2. He says, but if we walk in the light, he said, as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And I love this. And the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanses us from all sin. And so why is it that we're able to enter into the presence of God? Is it because we're so holy? Absolutely not. Is it because we are so good? Absolutely not. I don't want you to get it twisted. We are supposed to live righteously. We are supposed to live holy. We are supposed to live pure lives for the glory and for the honor of God. But I don't want you to think that your purity get, um, gives you access to God's presence. On the contrary, it is the blood of Jesus that cleanses you. It is the blood of Jesus that washes you. It is the blood of Jesus that makes you righteous and makes you holy and, and allows you access to the presence of God. It's that blood. It's not what we do. It's what we preach weekly, right? That we are sinners by birth, right? We are born into sin. That's what the Bible teaches us. And then not only are we born into sin, but that we live out those sinful desires as we grow up, right? As we get older, we make decisions against God. And those decisions separate us from God. Those decisions separate, they, they, they hinder our relationship with God. And we can try as we want to try to connect ourselves back to God by our own righteous works, by our own righteous deeds, and our deeds will always fall short because they will never be perfect. Are you here? They may be good in the sight of people, and God may even say that our works are good, but they will never be perfect. And understand this, God is perfect, and his ways are perfect. His standards are perfect. And so what has to happen? Well, something has to happen in order to bridge the gap. And so we are separated from God because of our sin, and Jesus dies in our place. That's an awesome thing. 
He sheds holy blood in our place so that way we can at some point put our faith in Jesus and his blood literally cleanses us of all sin, washes us of all sin. And so now because we put our faith in what Jesus did, he rises from the dead. Now we can be justified in the presence of God and we can enter into the presence of God clean because of what Jesus did. But here's the thing. We don't continue to live in sin how we want to live because once we have been cleaned, we recognize what Jesus did. And we want to live for his glory and for his honor. And we want to do what God wants us to do, not what we want to do. And here's the thing that I want to ask you. Have you been cleansed by the powerful blood of Jesus? Have you been cleansed by the blood of Jesus? Have you experienced that cleansing power? See, because I want you to know something. This is not something that's just like outside of you. You know, you just hear about. But there is a literal like something that goes on. It's like an internal bath that takes place when you experience the cleansing of Jesus Christ. When that gratitude comes alive in you because you've experienced not just what a message was, but in your heart, in your soul, you know what it means to be clean by Jesus. Jesus. And so the question is, have you been cleansed by the powerful blood of Jesus? Have you put your trust in what Jesus Christ has done? Have you called upon him for salvation? Have you cried out to him and said, God, forgive me for my sins. I surrender all to you. Have you done that yet? And if you've not done that yet, why? What is holding you back? And for those of you that say, yes, amen, Bishop, move on to the next point. Here's my second question for you, because I didn't forget about you either. Is your trust still in the blood of Jesus, or is it in your own righteous works? Are you trusting? Because, see, I know this much. I have learned in, in, the, in the years that I've been a believer that I cannot trust in my own righteous works because I may have a great day that I think I'm doing wonderful, and I'm like, yep, I can get into the presence of God because of my own merit, and then the next day I fall short. And can I tell you something? I promise you both days I fell short. Neither day was I worthy of God's presence on my own merit, but I can come boldly before the throne of grace because of what? Because of the blood of Jesus. Because of the blood of Jesus. The second thing I'll ask you to repeat after me is this. Say forgiveness is needed by everyone. Forgiveness is needed by everyone, not just some people. It is needed by everyone. I love this. This is one of my favorite portions in the book of 1 John, and it is this. Look at verse 8. It says, if we say that we have no sin, look what he says, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we say we have no sin, okay, if we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves. And the truth is not in us. Now, I want to pause for a moment because I'm going to ask you a question, all right? And this is semi-rhetorical, so you can answer, but I mean, I'm not looking for, it's not a trick question is what I mean by this. So here's the question. Who is the Apostle John writing to? Okay, let me, let me, ask, that was, that was, that was, okay, I don't know, I didn't get any answers here, but it's, it's the church, right? I saw a couple people, church. Okay, let me ask you, so... Who is the Bible intended for? Believers. God's people. Right? So, in other words, this wasn't a scroll that somebody just found in a bottle somewhere. This is the point that I'm trying to make. Because John is not writing to sinners. He is writing to saints. He is writing to believers. And he is saying to them, if we say, notice what he said, if we say, we have no sin, we deceive ourselves. 
If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves. We deceive ourselves. I mean, that, those are some pretty big words. We deceive ourselves. And not only that, he says the truth is not in you. We deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us if we say that we have no sin. And so the reason why the, 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 the promise of forgiveness is offensive to some people is because some people believe that they don't need forgiveness. They, they think, you know, I'm, I'm a good person. You know, I live morally upright. And yet John says, hey, man, if you say you have no sin, he says it in this verse here. He said, if you say you have no sin, man, you, listen, you are deceiving yourself. But if you fast forward, you look at verse 10 there. He says, if we say that we have not sinned, right, you're going to notice two different words there, right? Sin being singular in verse 8. And sinned is not, it, it, it's, it's a word that's talking about your actions here. He says, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. This is real stuff here. So first of all, you deceive yourself. The truth is not in you. And you make God a liar if you say you've never sinned. See, but there's some people that have this. You know what was happening is that there were people in that place that they were, they were bound by this deception of perfectionism. And they thought that, number one, there was one thought here. That the one thought was that, you know what? We don't have a sin nature once we come to faith in Christ. No longer does this sin nature exist. Now, listen, I don't know how you can deceive yourself into believing that. I mean, I don't know how you're walking. Hello. I don't know how you're living your life, but I know this. I couldn't lie to myself enough to make myself believe I don't have a sin nature. Are you here? I'm just saying, I don't know if you got that. But I couldn't lie to myself enough, right, like to make myself believe, man, you don't have a sinful nature. But I, can I tell you something? I, and, I, and this saddens me because I consider folks that I'm going to explain to you right now, I've had conversations with people that I would consider brothers and sisters in Christ, and they act as though they have no sin nature. They act as though they struggle with no sin. I told you about them last week. I'm going to repeat it again, right? But they act as though they have no sin. Like there is no, that there, there is nothing inside of them that, that even has any kind of inclination. They're better than the Apostle Paul, bottom line. They are. They've come to that place. And what John is saying is, listen, you're lying to yourself. You're lying to yourself. And you're making God a liar when you say you have sin. So the first thing, I just want to point a couple of things out here because I think that this is so, so very important, right? Is first, we must recognize we all have a sinful nature. Again, that first part, verse 8, that's what he's talking about. You, you have sin. You have a sinful nature. And again, I want to point out, he is writing to people who are believers. He's telling them, you have a sinful nature, right? You have a sinful nature. That's the bottom line. It doesn't mean you're dominated by the sinful nature. Are you here? It doesn't mean you live in sin. Man, we're going to get to that in a moment because I want you to know he is simply trying to help people to understand, hey, there is still a sinful nature. There is still a battle. Don't lie to yourself. Don't think that you don't have any kind of sin in your life. The second thing is that we must, as we see here in verse 9, which again is, is where the promise is. He says this. He says, if we confess our sins, God is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. I want you to grasp that reality. If we confess our sins, God is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us of all unrighteousness. That should be a memory verse for you, right? Like God is like, like if we confess our sins, God is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Like that should be something that resonates in our heart. But here's the thing. Notice the emphasis is this. If we confess, if we deny, first of all, if we deny the fact that we have sin, then we have a problem. Because if you don't think you have sin, guess what you will never do? You never confess sin. That's the problem. That's how you know those people that don't think they have a sinful nature. Hello. 
Because they never confess sin. They never, they're, they're, they're never wrong. They're, 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 they're never, there's never some, they never, they give you these apologies, right? And, I, and if you do this, I'm not accusing you of thinking you have no sinful nature. But folks like this, they, they do these kind of apologies. If I've offended you. You know you love those apologies. If I've done something wrong. What do you mean if you did something wrong? How do you mean if? Are you not thinking enough to know what you did wrong? Because I don't need to come at you and be like, well, if I. No, 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 wait a second. I know what I did wrong. I, me. I'm not talking about you because I don't know about you. Well, when someone comes to me that if stuff, I'm like, if what? Wait, don't, know me. don't talk about if. When you're ready to tell me what, then come and apologize. Hello. When you're ready to let me know where you sinned against me or where you sinned against God, then we can have a conversation. But John makes it clear here. He says, if we confess our sins. So what does that word confess mean? It means to agree with. It means to say the same thing. In other words, God says lying is sin. You say lying is sin, not convenient. Are you here? Well, I had to do it. No, you didn't have to lie. You did not have to lie. You know, God condemns certain behaviors in the Bible. Therefore, I am going to not agree with those behaviors as though they are okay. No matter what anybody says, I am going to do what? I am going to say what God says, especially when it has to do with my life. Especially when it has to do with me and how I'm living. I'm not going to justify my sin. I'm going to call my sin, sin. I'm not going to blame someone else for my sin. Are you here? Hello. I am going to say I sin regardless of what they did. I sin. Therefore, I agree with God. And I confess my sin before God. And then the Bible says that God is faithful and just to forgive us our sins. He promises. He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us of all unrighteousness. So the first thing is we must recognize that we all have sinned. The second thing is we must confess, say the same thing that God says about our sins. And here's what I want you to understand is that we must recognize our specific sinful acts. We must recognize them, whether they are sins of commission or sins of omission. You know why some of you think that you are not as big sinners as other people? I'm going to tell you why. Some of us think that because we are not committing sins intentionally, because we're not doing things, like we're making sure we don't do stuff, and therefore, we feel that we're okay, but we forget about the stuff we're omitting to do. We're forgetting about the, we, we think somehow that Jesus only died for the sins of commission and not the sins of omission. Are you here? You know, the sins of commission, those are the things you do. You lie, you, you lie, you cheat, you steal. But what about the sins of omission? What about not loving your neighbor? That's a sin of omission. Hello. What about, what about not forgiving other people? Hello now. That's a sin of omission, right? What about not caring about the poor? Those are sins of omission, right? What about, I mean, just, I mean, you can go down the list of things that the Bible, the Bible doesn't just command us not to do stuff. The Bible commands us to do things. And so some of us, we feel like, well, hey, man, you know, I'm not looking at that. I'm not saying that. I'm not doing that. I'm not that bad. Really? Why don't we go to the other list? What about all the things God says to do? Are you doing all of those things? I can assure you, you're probably doing more than you realize you're doing, and I can assure you, you're doing less than you think you're doing. Are you here? I know that was confusing, but anyway, here's the thing. We need to make sure that we have our hearts in the right place and our confession before God. And the third thing he says in that verse 10, he says this, If we say that we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. The third thing, we must acknowledge that we have sinned. 
See, the problem in this perfectionism mindset is a denial of past sins, but not just that, but it's a denial of the, it's a denial of the possibility of present sin. Are you here? It's not just a denial of past sins, but it's a denial of the possibility or the potential to sin now. See, we have to recognize, hey, you know what? I sinned in the past. I did do things wrong in the past. And I can sin now. Therefore, I have to keep myself in check. I can't just live my life like I don't have a care in the world. I need to live the way that God calls me to. The promise of forgiveness is needed for everyone. And here's the thing. The only difference between those who are believers in Jesus and those who have not put their faith in Jesus is that the one that is a believer has already taken the first step toward receiving God's forgiveness. That's the only difference because you know what? Every one of us in here need need God's forgiveness. Again, God wrote this through the Apostle John for us, his church, because we needed to know, hey, when you sin, confess. Not that you're going to be living in sin, which will bring us to my next point. Say this with me. Forgiveness Forgiveness. is accessible to everyone. Forgiveness is accessible to everyone. Look at what he says in chapter 2, verse 1, and then verse 2. He says this, my little children, these things I write to you, now look, at, now, now look at this. He's telling you why he's writing these things. These things I write to you so that you may not sin. He's not writing this promise of forgiveness so you say, hey, I can sin all I want now. I can do whatever I want to do. God says if I, if I confess my sin, that he is faithful, he is just to forgive me of my sin and cleanse me of all unrighteousness. You know what? That's my ticket. That's my pass. I don't need to fight against this sin anymore. I don't need to fight against I don't need to struggle with this thing anymore. I can just go ahead and live freely. That isn't why Paul, that, that isn't why John is writing this. John is writing this to us so that we would not sin. And he says, and if anyone sins, right? So he's writing this so we won't sin, right? What is the motivation for me not to sin? It's love, right? That's, that's what it is. It's gratitude. That's the reason I don't want to sin because I'm grateful. I'm grateful for what Jesus did. I'm grateful for what Jesus offered. But here's what he says. And if anyone sins, he's not talking about habitual sin. He's talking about sin that's going to happen in our lives. If anyone sins, what does he say here? He says, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. Notice who our advocate is. It's Jesus. It is Jesus. It's not a man, right? It's not a church, right? It's not a confession, right, of of a belief system. It is Jesus himself. He is my advocate. He is your advocate, right? I come to him. I confess my sin directly to God. I ask God, you forgive me. Lord, I have sinned against you. And because of what Jesus did, because of that blood, then guess what I can do? I come and I have an advocate. So the first thing he says is that we have an advocate. And the second thing he says is this. He says in he himself is the propitiation for our sins, not for ours only, but also for the whole world. What did I say the point was? Forgiveness is accessible to everyone, not just some people. It is accessible to everyone. And the Bible tells us about two things here. The beauty of the gospel is the reality that no one is outside of God's willingness and ability to receive his forgiveness. I'll say that again. The beauty of the gospel is the reality that no one is outside of God's willingness and ability to forgive them. 
No one, no matter what you've done, listen, I don't care what you have done. I don't care what has happened. It does not matter. God's forgiveness is accessible to all of us. God will not, listen, God does not will that we sin, but God has made provision for our sin. Are you here? God does not will any of the evil that we see in our world. He do, unless it's his judgment, that's the only thing that God wills. But when it's man's bad decisions and man's ideologies that cause wicked things, those things are because of men. God doesn't will those things. He doesn't desire those things. God will allow the things that he hates to bring about the things that he loves for sure, but he does not will them. What he does is he makes provision for our sin, and that is Jesus being our propitiation on the cross. And so advocate... Let's look at what the first word here is. The word advocate. I want you to notice first and foremost, it says Jesus is. It's not that there was an offering made. Jesus is the offering. Are you here? Jesus is the offering. He is the advocate, right? The advocate is what? It's that same word we talked about last week, right? That, 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 para, that, that, that parakletos that we talked about, the Holy Spirit, the helper, the one who comes beside us. That is who Jesus is. He comes beside us. He comes beside us so that way he can come. And he intercedes on our behalf to the Father. He comes beside us. This is based upon his finished work. Here's what I understand when I look at this word advocate. Jesus literally faces the Father with us when we sin. Think about that. Literally. So every time that you come to God and you bow your knees or you bow your head or you just open your mouth to God when you have sinned against him, I want you to picture this every single time. Jesus is walking right up to the presence of the Father right next to you, and he is right there beside you, and he's saying, Father, forgive him. Father, forgive her. Not be, see, and you have to recognize this. You have an adversary and you have an advocate. Are you here? You have the accuser and you have the advocate. You have the one that is over here, the devil saying, oh, they sinned again. They, they, they did wrong again. They dishonored you again. They lied again. They cheated again. They stole again. They, whatever they did again. And every single time you come before God, Jesus is right there as your advocate saying, that's true, but I died for him. His faith is in me. That's true. I died for him, and that is what matters. My blood cleansed him. My blood cleansed her. They are your beloved son. They are your beloved daughter because of what I did. And so that's what the advocate does. He comes beside you, and he speaks for you. While our hearts are bowed, while our heads are bowed, that's why we confess because we agree with God about our sin. We don't say we didn't do it. We confess our sin to God. And then propitiation, what does that mean? It means to, it means the means of forgiveness. It is the means of forgiveness. And so he is our propitiation. He is the propitiation from our, for our sins. He is the one who makes a means for us, the way for us to be forgiven. He himself. Not, not an offering like the old covenant, but he himself is the, is the offering. He gave himself so that way he could be the means for our forgiveness. He satisfied our sin debt. And so now we can do what? We can come before the Father. But no, I want you to notice this. He is that propitiation for us. But look at what the writer says. He makes this crystal clear to us. And here's what I want you to see. He says this, and not for ours only. Who is ours? It's us. Not just for us believers. Not just for us that are reading this epistle. But he's saying it is not only for us, he says, but also for the whole world. Oh, that's good news. 
Every person you lock eyes with, every person you encounter, that person, Jesus made propitiation for their sin. Jesus made a means for them to be forgiven. For you, if you're in here and you're not a believer, and you may think you're too far from God, you may think that God is no, God, God if God knew every, God does know everything you've done. If God saw everything, he sees everything you've done. He made propitiation. He made a means for you to be forgiven. He made a means for you to be cleansed by his blood and anybody out there who does not know Jesus he made a way for them to be cleansed it is up to us to to be the voice that communicates that Jesus died and offers forgiveness to all who will call upon him he offers forgiveness to all who will call upon him if you'll call upon him and say Lord I recognize my sin if you'll do that guess what he'll do he'll forgive you he will cleanse you of all unrighteousness. He will make you a new creation. And if you're a believer in this place and you have sin against God and you feel like, man, I, I can't do this again, listen, call upon him today and receive his forgiveness. My closing question is this. Have you been forgiven? That's the first one. Have you been forgiven? Have you experienced the forgiveness that there is in Christ? Have you put your faith in Jesus? Have you repented of your sin? God wants all men everywhere to hear the gospel call to repentance and faith in Jesus Christ and know that in Christ there is forgiveness. Have you been forgiveness? And if you are a child of God, here's the question. Are you walking in the promise of forgiveness? As a child of God, maybe you're in here, you're struggling with a particular sin in your life. I don't know what that is. You're struggling with a particular thing in your life. Listen, keep struggling with that thing. Don't give up. Don't give in. Call upon the Lord today. God, forgive me. Forgive me. And it may be forgive me again. It may be forgive me for the 900th time. I don't know. But listen, what I'm saying is don't live in sin, but trust that God is a faithful forgiver. Amen? Amen. So let's stand to our feet and let's pray together. Father, today we come before your beautiful glorious and wonderful presence. Lord, we thank you so much for the promise of forgiveness that is found in you, that is found in your word. Thank you, Jesus, for being our propitiation. Thank you, Jesus, for being our advocate. Lord, I pray for everyone in this place. Lord, may we all walk in that promise of forgiveness. I pray for my brothers and my sisters that may be struggling with specific sin in their life. Lord God, may you break those chains that bind them right now in Jesus' name. Father, I pray for those in this place that are not believers, that are not walking with you, that don't know you. God, may their hearts be drawn to you today. May you deliver them from their sin. May you draw them unto you with repentance and faith. And may they trust you today as the great forgiver that you are. Jesus, thank you. We call upon you today. We thank you for your forgiveness and your grace. We give you praise in Jesus' good name. Amen. Come on, give the Lord a hand of praise.